0: Hi, New Legacy, Lyndon. This is Ann Johnson, your lead pastor, and I am so excited to be sharing this week's message with you as we continue in our series uh, called Church of Uncomfortable Conversations. Before I start my message, I just want to remind you of three things. On June 18th at 6 30 we're going to be doing church in the park and this week we are meeting at bertheson park just look for our silver forerunner and come and join us as we enjoy the beautiful outdoors um fresh fresh air (laughs) and just a park for our children to play in Again, I've been communicating, please use wisdom. If you are showing any symptoms of illness, please stay home. We want you to get healthy, and we don't want other people in the church to get sick. And just a reminder, we have a gaggle of kids in our home church, and so they are learning boundaries too. So just gently remind your kids that, um, you know, to give people space, but also Don't get upset if a kid encroaches on your space. Just remind them to give you a little bit more room. And because the kids in our home church are absolutely fantastic, loving, energetic kiddos, they're going to be good with that. So I'll see you at Church in the Park. And I'm so excited to talk about the sermon and do prayer together. Enjoy prayer together. Also, if New Legacy Linden is the place that you call your church, then we invite you to give through www.newlegacylinden.com. Um, I just wanted to give you guys an update that we have been able to be so generous in the last couple of months of the pandemic because of the money that we have set aside in our missions fund and our missions and outreach fund. And that's all because of your generous um, ties and offerings to the church. So here are the instructions. Um, Go to the website, go to the support page and hit give. Thank you so much for um, giving to the mission and vision of new legacy London. Also, If you haven't downloaded the Faith Life app on your phone, I highly encourage you to download it because you're able to read our newsletters, see the digital bulletin, and listen to the sermon and watch the slides all from your phone. And I wanted to give you the update um, that Riley has also um, put our sermons on Apple Podcasts so you're able to listen to it there. All right, let's start on this week's sermon on Church of Uncomfortable Conversations. Before I do that, I'm just going to take a moment to pray. Jesus, you are so good. You are so good and you are so gracious. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done in my life, the life of my family, and even what you're doing through our home church. Lord, as we continue to grow together in love and knowledge of you, help us also grow in love and knowledge of each other, Lord. I thank you so much that you have given us the flexibility to pivot during this pandemic as a home church. God, I thank you that you have given me wisdom and clarity um, in this season to speak on the uncomfortable conversations that are happening in our world. Lord, I pray that you continue to guide me, guide our church. And God, I pray that in all that we do, would we constantly be pointing people to you. Will we constantly be sharing your love with people around us? And God, I thank you that um, this is the community I get to be a part of. I pray that I would not get in the way of what you want to do today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so two weeks ago, we talked about racism. Last week, we talked about grief. This week, I felt like it was important for me to talk about church as an uncomfortable conversation. And so before we can even launch into why church could be an uncomfortable topic of conversation inside and outside of a gathering of believers, I wanted to first define church, biblical definition of church. The Greek word for church is ekklesia, which means called out ones. So when you see in the Old Testament, often it's the assembly of God's people. That was Israel in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, we see that the word ecclesia is used to describe the community of God's people. And it was actually used about 109 times out of 114 occurrences of the term that it is referencing community of God's people. You see it twice in the Gospels 23 times in Acts and 46 times in Pauline literature. And you're like, what is Pauline literature? Pauline literature is essentially the books that were written by the Apostle Paul. Fun fact if you didn't know. So that is what church is. It's the gathering of God's people. In some definition, that um, it includes the gathering of believers with a purpose. So that's the definition. Well, why does church make people uncomfortable? You see, I didn't grow up in the church. In fact, most of my life, I hated church. I didn't hate God. I didn't hate Jesus. But I hated what the church stood for. And by the church, I'm referencing the building. And I hated what Christians stood for. So last night, Riley, my husband, and I, we were talking about why do you think church makes people uncomfortable, even just the idea of it. So we started listing things that people could have experienced in church as somebody who isn't a Christian, wh- wh- why it could make them uncomfortable. So, one of the things that we've talked about, you know, in church culture, there's a lot of insider language, there's a lot of words that we use that if you don't know what they mean, they're a a little uncomfortable. And pair that with things like the laying on of hands, those actions. If somebody has never experienced the laying on of hands, one, insider language, what the heck is laying on of hands? And then why the heck is someone touching me? We also recognize the media portrayal of churches. They're not always in the best light. uh, uh, Really media portrayals. Christians and churches, you also have the historic, like just these fall, the fall of famous pastors, where you have these pastors, mega church pastors who make really bad decisions, and then it's all over the news. So that could inform some people's idea of church, make them uncomfortable. But we also need to take the personal responsibility of being the church and again, that's even insider language. But when I refer to us being the church, I'm talking about each believer's part in the greater gathering. But we have to recognize that a lot of people have experienced a great deal of hurt by the church. And it's easy to say here and say, well, the church is made up of broken people, so people should expect to get hurt. But sometimes that personal hurt that you've experienced by church leadership, by a pastor, by someone who you looked up to, while they may be imperfect, we have to recognize and acknowledge how painful that experience could be for somebody. And one of And one of the biggest responses that I hear from people when I share with them that I am a pastor, which generally they're shocked by, is that, you know, like, I'm down with God, but I just, I'm not down with the idea of institutionalized religion in reference to the structure of the building and the programs that happen in the building. Most believers would know that the people are the church, that we are the body of Christ. We make up the parts of the church. But that's actually not how people think about most people who don't go to church think about church. Usually there's the church building where religious things happen, religious programs happen. It's where you go for Christmas and Easter to satisfy somebody in your family, maybe even Mother's Day. Just where you go, and then you leave immediately. So it's a it's a physical location. But then, when people talk about the church, they can't help but also think about the the people who fill the church, the Christians. And let's be real: the general consensus of a lot of people's experience and discomfort comes from the fact that we have seen. Christians become hypocrites, or not become, but are hypocrites. And these might not necessarily be the same thing, but I want us to recognize that they represent the same discomfort. I shared a little bit of my my experience. Again, I didn't grow up hating God, I didn't grow up being anti Jesus. I just had no desire to go to a church building for their religious experience. But one of the things that I did hate was man, I hated Christians. I just hated people who told me that they were Christians and that they believed all these things, but because I went to school with them, I know that they didn't do those things that they say they believed. I hated the judgment and the shame culture. I hated the holier than thou vibe. Because I didn't grow up going to church. My family was not Christians. My experience of Christians was in my school. And there are very few that I could think of in recollection where I'm like, yeah, you definitely make me want to follow that Jesus that you say you believe. And become a part of that community that you belong to. So you see, I I did not go to church, and I was definitely not part of the church. But here's the thing. Your experience could be completely different. Because I know my experience isn't the only experience. Your experience of going to church and being a part of the church could be freaking awesome. Like, hot dang, I love the church. I love being a part of the church. And that is so awesome. That is so awesome, and I honestly I want those things for my kids. I want them growing up to be a part of the church and loving the church. A huge reason why Riley and I felt so compelled to start New Legacy Linden is we because we wanted to build a church and create a legacy that our children can inherit of what the church is. It is important that we do. Take time to recognize recognize that an overwhelming majority of people do not have that same ex- positive experience about a church building or the people who fill the building. And I will say this, and I feel like I always have to say this when I talk about the discomfort of church or Christian things, is I love The church. I love what God has called his people to be. The church. Buildings are cool too. They serve a purpose too. But man. I love the church. So do not listen to this. and think man on is really ragging on the church and ragging on Christianity i am not i love jesus and i love what he has called all believers to be i love that when we come together we can do some pretty incredible things but let's not miss the moment to recognize acknowledge identify some hurdles that people have When it comes to church, you see, when people are uncomfortable about church and they meet me and they're like, what are you doing? Like I'm a pastor, like, oh, and then they always feel like they need to justify why they don't go to church, why they're uncomfortable about church how they, you know, are spiritual, but they're not for institutionalized religion. I don't ask any of these questions. They just go full send into explanation and then I have to be like, you don't owe me an explanation. But usually the conversation, when we talk about church, we've got the building, we've got the people. And in the Bible, we see references to the church as a building. As a gathering, as a location, a local assembly. And we also see it as the very people who follow Christ. Gathered together with the purpose of worship, prayer, fellowship. With the purpose of the kingdom in mind. If you are listening to this and you don't know where Linden is, (laughs) we are the tip-top left corner of Washington State, right under Canada. And I love our little city. We have a lot of church buildings, blocks on blocks of churches. So there are those assemblies there, the gathering in those physical spaces there. But there are also people here who are the church. They make up the body of Christ. And man, I love the people. I love the church. So when we talk about the church being the body of Christ, recognizing that that, that's kind of insider language. Like, that's kind of weird. I thought I would pull up this scripture from 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 31. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some of us are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, well, I'm not part of the body because I am not an eye, would it make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? And if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts and God puts each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it was just only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some of the body that, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we close with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the most honorable parts do not require the special care. So God puts the body together such that great honor and care is given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffers. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body and each of you are a part of it. Here are some parts that God has appointed for the church. First, there are apostles. Second, are prophets. Third, are teachers. Then those who do miracles. Those who have the gift of healing. Those who can help others. Those who have the gift of leadership. And those who speak in unknown languages. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But now let me show you the way of life that is best of all. And so Paul is writing about how each person in the gathering of the church, in the assembly of the church, Each person is a part of the body of Christ. Each part, each person has a purpose. Each person has a reason to be a part of the body. And I love that he says that when one suffers, we all suffer. You see, I wish that is what people would know about Christians, is that we are all made differently because we all function differently in the body of Christ. Paul goes on to list all these different roles and says, it wouldn't make sense if we were all teachers because we need healers and we need apostles and we need helpers. We need all these different parts so we can fully function and accomplish the purpose of the kingdom of God on earth, that there is so much value in diversity of gifts and talents and people because the people make up the church And that is the body of Christ. And just like our body, when something is not functioning properly, we all suffer. So yes, we should desire the most helpful gifts. But I believe that when he says, let me show you a way of life that is most helpful, it goes into further, like he writes more past these verses. But I honestly think some of the best life as a Christian is when we encourage, uplift and just I can't think of the word but we just cheer each other on to be the best we can be in the body and I wish that when people look at the church they would see Christians cheering for each other instead of seeing Christians tear each other apart. I wish that when people saw the church They're not seeing the religious building. They're seeing the people that fill this physical location. But they would see an immense amount of love and joy and peace that overflows from us. And they can't help but think, but why? I wish that the discomfort that people feel towards the church, that that discomfort would be alleviated when they see how we love each other. In Hebrews 10: 24, 25, let us think of ways to motivate one each other in acts of love and good work. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially that the day of his return is drawing near. Fun fact when Paul, or even the writer of Hebrews talks about the return, the day of his return. They thought it was happening then. 2,000 plus years later, we are still waiting for his return. The thing is that none of us know when. But I love what the writer of Hebrews says, let us think of ways to motivate one another, to acts of love and good work. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. That when we are meeting together, when we are together, these are opportunities for us to spur each other on and motivate each other on acts of love and good work. We get to encourage each other on how to love that person who you work with who's a total jerk. We get to encourage each other on how to love people who don't love us in our neighborhood. That I wish that when people are so uncomfortable around church and church people man I wish that they would see that we are people who are trying to motivate each other in to acts of love and good work. because our faith, what we speak, what we say we believe has to be paired with action and people are tired of hearing what Christians say because oftentimes what we say doesn't match with our action so now people are just waiting for our action. So let's motivate each other to acts of love and good works. Let's be known for our kindness, our generosity, our love, our prayer, the way that we go out of our way and out of our own comfort zone to help meet the needs of others. This morning I read uh, um, a tweet from Phil Fisher who wrote and created VeggieTales. I don't know, if you're not following that man on Twitter, he is just dropping bombs. He has this gift to explain faith in such an easy yet profound way. So he talked about how it's great that people want to pray for revival. And if you know me for two hot seconds, you know I'm down to pray for revival. But he also encourages the people of God to put action to our prayers. And then in that moment, I saw in my own heart that how prayer for me can easily be a cop-out. Yeah, I'm going to pray for you. When I see the homeless man, but I have $5 in my pocket to feed his body, which is his most, like feed him because that might be his biggest need. Yeah, I'm going to pray for you, but actually what your coworker wants is for you just to come alongside them and listen to their journey. Yeah, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for revival because God God wants to bless America. God wants to pour out his spirit. I'm going to pray for revival. But to not step in and speak against the injustice uh, towards the oppressed. Our words are not meeting with our actions. And friends, we need to hold the tension, as Phil would say, to match our actions with our words, our prayer with our actions. So people are waiting to see our actions. And if the definition of church, the ecclesia, is the gathering of God's people, we have to ask, what is that purpose? And I shared it earlier in the message. But what is the purpose of the church? I can say as a believer, the purpose of the church, being gathered together with other believers, is a place of encouragement, a place of challenge, a place of growth. That honestly, following Christ is super hard. It's not lollipops and unicorn farts. It is hard. So when I get opportunities to be around other Christians, I'm reminded that I don't have to do this journey alone. So I can say, yeah, the purpose of, a Christian, a purpose of the church for a Christian is that, that we are gathering together with the purpose of worshiping Christ and encouraging one another. But what would you say is the purpose of church for non believers, for people who don't confess that Christ is their Lord and Savior? Perhaps the church building, the church gathering is a place for them to learn. But man, I would love if people knew that the gathering was a place for them to be loved. The gathering was a place of refuge where they can come broken, unsure, weary from the travels of life and be met with a group of people who are motivated to spur each other on in acts of love and good works. We see in Acts 2, 42 through 47, excuse me, I had to take a drink of coffee. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them, and the apostles performed many signs and many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, meeting in home met in homes for the Lord's supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while, praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people, and each day the Lord added to added to their fellowship those who were being saved. This passage stood out for Riley and I as we began to think what type of church we would plant. You know, at New Legacy Linden, we say that our four pillars comes from this verse. What we do, we give ourselves to teaching. We walk through books of the Bible and we talk about it. I don't want you just to believe what I say because I'm the pastor of this church. I want you to ask yourself questions because you are the one responsible for growth, spiritual growth. We have fellowship, opportunities to hang out. Personally, Church in the Park has been incredible for us. We share meals, which BT Dubs I super miss because some of y'all just cook such good food. And then we pray. Everything is extra that we do outside of teaching, fellowship, meals, and prayer. That the purpose of church I see from this scripture are those things. But also just the way the believers loved each other. The people in that gathering, they loved each other and they cared for each other's needs. Not just the spiritual need through teaching, but the physical need through a meal. Not just the spiritual need, but the physical too. And I love it because the way they did it is that each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. You see, those who are uncomfortable with the idea of church, and you know what? In fact, I am meeting a lot of young people who love the Lord, but there's still some hurdles for them, some hurt hurdles that they are overcoming when it comes to the physical gathering of people. That they are connected in deep fellowship with other Christians in their life, meeting regularly for prayer and encouragement. But there's still, there's still some discomfort about an organized church. And man, I've been so grateful that the Lord has put me in places where I could just be a part of encouraging them, loving them. Because the gathering is so important. Yes, a building is cool. But may we never forget that we are the church. You, me, we, each of us. Are called to go into our individual spheres of influence and proclaim who Jesus is in the way that we speak and the way that we act. That we are the church and we have a purpose, and that is to see kingdom come on earth. That is to see people saved. That is to see our friends and family saved. Our purpose is to follow Christ. And by following him, it means that we imitate him in the way that we live our life. And can I just say right now? That each of us are, have a call to go and make disciples. That while a physical gathering is great, a building is great. I mean, right now and forever, we will be at home church meeting in homes. This is great. But like I tell you in person, I tell you at church, it is fantastic when you want to invite your friends to home church. It is, I would love to meet your friends and family. Yes, please. We would love to meet your friends and family. Yes, please. But do not hand over your personal responsibility to show Christ to them, lead them to the Lord, lead them to salvation, and disciple them. Do not give that over to me. Do not give that over to a professional pastor. That is your responsibility, and I have my responsibility, and together we Have responsibility and purpose to see kingdom come on earth. That we are to gather here, but we are also to go out into the world and be Christ like out there. We are called to gather here because there is a purpose in the gathering here, but there is a purpose out there in your neighborhoods, in your work, in your group of friends, in your activities. In every place you go, you are the church. You might be that one Christian experience that somebody has. And I pray that when they meet us, they would be overwhelmed by how much we love people who belong to our church, but especially people who will never come. That we are to show Christ in every arena of our lives. Showing Christ in every arena of our lives, in our words and our works, is a testimony to who God is. We hold the tension between the two. That when people are so uncomfortable about going to church, going to a building, but they're somehow chill with you as a Christian, hot dang. What a great opportunity to show them Christ without ever taking them to the building until they're ready. We don't have to drag people to a physical location for them to hear the gospel, receive salvation, and be discipled. Because if we are to be the church, we are everywhere. But what people need to see is an alignment between our words and our works. Because they have seen the words. They have seen what we say. Even in the midst of the conversations That we are having about our nation. The state of our nation is in. I remember hearing a story about. Ports that were created in Africa. When they stole people. And they would sack them up like bags of potatoes in these these places to wait to be put into a ship and sent across the ocean, stripped from their family, stripped of dignity and respect that all image bearers are to have, stripped of freedom. And the craziest thing. About where those buildings on those ports were built. They were built real close to churches. They were real close to people singing worship to God in their buildings. As they enslave people who bear the image of God. Justifying their action of sin towards human beings. Image bearers of God by thinking that these people were less. So trust me church. People have heard our words, but they are still waiting for our actions to see if they align with our words. James 1, 19 through 27. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. James is, BT Dubs, James is one of my favorite books. His homeboy was all about words and action. You must all be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your life and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts for it is the power to save your soul. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and you don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious but can't control or don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God. The father means caring for the widows and the orphans in distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. James is straight up calling people believers he's writing to believers to not just know the word of God say the word of God but we almost also must do the word of God we also must obey we cannot just say we obey God's word we must obey it in our actions and our life if you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless can I also add right now because we've got a ton of keyboard warriors Be mindful of what you are posting. Be mindful of what you are sharing. Because it is your tech tongue. It is your words through a keyboard, all for the world to see. I had this interchange with a great gal from Linden, man. I respect her. But she made a post about something about not seeing color. And I personally reached out to her. And I just shared when somebody tells me they don't see color, it feels like they don't see me. Because I am a person of color. I am not ashamed that I am Asian, that I am a person of color. It's not that I don't want to be seen. It is that I believe that diversity should be celebrated. And I was nervous to share that with her. But I just shared, man, when people say they don't see color, what it really comes off to me is they don't see me. Me, a daughter of God. And her response was so kind. It was so loving. She said, aunt, I never, I never saw it like that. I never saw the one I said, I don't see color. What I meant was that I don't treat people differently. I never knew that for a person of color, that it could come across that when we don't see color, we don't see you. We don't celebrate you. And it was this, this beautiful moment of kingdom where we were able to encourage and sharpen each other. And I share that with you because I think that in that moment, her and I both chose to reflect Christ as individuals who have been called by God, coming together to be the body for a purpose, our individual purpose in every arena of our lives, but the purpose that the body of Christ has in the world. We are to reflect Christ. See, in John 10, 27, Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. When Jesus even calls in the gospel, he calls the disciples to follow him. He wasn't just saying, let's go take a hike through the arid desert together. To follow me is to trust me. To follow me is to look at my life and imitate it. To follow me is to love me. To follow me is to be like me. But this intimacy that we see here in John 10 verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them. The sheep knows the shepherd and the shepherd knows the sheep. There's an intimacy that is built with trust, relationship, and time. And I believe the more that we lean into trust, relationship and time with our shepherd, we will know his voice and he would know us. And the thing is that I think from there we can love extravagantly well because we remember who we were before Christ took us out of darkness and set us free. We remember the extravagant love and sacrifice of Christ who died for us while we were still in our sins. So we're not sitting behind our keyboards. We're not going to our arenas, shaming and condemning people and judging them because they don't have their crap together, because they're living a life that we don't agree with, because they're making choices that we might not understand. Would we remember so intimately how God loves us would we remember so intentionally what Jesus did to set us free? And will we rejoice that believers are filled with the very Spirit of God that leads us into the world so that we can be light in the darkness, so that we could be the church outside of the gathering with a purpose to see kingdom come, with a purpose of sharing the gospel, living and working it out, That our words match our actions. That we are to reflect Christ in our interactions inside of church and outside of church. I wonder if people would be less uncomfortable about the topic of church if they have met so many Christians who purely reflected Christ. Christ who loves so well. Jesus Christ, who sacrificed his life. If they met followers of Christ, again, follow me just doesn't mean take a hike through the arid desert with me. It means to know me, to trust me, to love me, to be like me. We are Christ's followers. We know him and he knows us, that intimacy. But here, here's where I think the pickle is. Here's why I think the issue is when people are uncomfortable with church and they think about the church building as a thing and they think about the folks who go into the building. Is it possible that we have confined Christ to a building? Is it possible? And this is what I think the possible pickle is, is we have. When we have delegated our personal responsibility of discipleship to professional pastors, we have confined Christ to the building. We make people think that in order for them to hear worship, to experience other Christians, to hear the gospel, to receive salvation, to be discipled, has to happen in a building. And don't get me wrong, I love buildings. I love our Thursday night gatherings. But it is not the only place that people should hear worship, meet other Christians, hear the gospel, receive salvation, and get discipled. We have confined Christ to a physical location. Because we have delegated our personal responsibility of discipleship to professional pastors. That we think, well, if they just heard the gospel, if they just heard about Jesus through my pastor, maybe they'll get saved. They have already heard the gospel in how you love them. They have already experienced Christ in how you act. Sit on that. All of us. I am calling us to sit on that. I love, we love when people come to church and you're bringing your friends out. It's awesome. Because I love meeting people. I think it's great that they come to the gathering. But there are so many other gatherings in every single part of our lives that we should be inviting people to. The space around our table, the walks that we go on, the coffee shop sits, There are so many other spaces where people can experience worship, prayer, the gospel, salvation, discipleship. Let's not confine Christ to a building. I think that's where the discomfort begins because people think that the building is where they have to go. And maybe they don't want to go to a building. But if we think that's the only place that those things can happen, we're missing the point. Christ cannot be contained. God cannot be contained in our religious practice, our religious building, our religious things. We are constantly trying to put God in a box. And God is God. We have to recognize that people are very uncomfortable with the idea of going to a church building. Some people are very uncomfortable by being around Christians. And for the reasons I listed earlier in the sermons, maybe you have recognized that there are maybe other reasons. You, your friends, your family, they might be uncomfortable with Christians, with buildings. There's a more mistrust than is trust. So how do we help ease the discomfort that people have with church? I think ways we can ease that discomfort is one, to not confine Christ to the building, thinking that church is the only place they'll receive. They'll interact with other Christians or hear the gospel. Like I said, they already heard and saw the gospel in you. But we can invite them into spaces where they can experience their friendships, barbecues, happy hours, parties, gatherings, shared meals. Inviting people to live life with you, in your home, at your work. That is being the church. We can help ease the discomfort that people have with Christians when we love well and live like we believe what we say we believe. And we're not always going to get it perfect. I don't always get it perfect. I have lost the amount of times I've messed up. But I never want to forget how I felt about church and Christians before I became one. I never want to surround myself with people who already know Jesus who already know the church, who have no problems. I want to love people who are wrestling and weary about church buildings and church people. Because I think it's in those spaces that I am called to shine brightly. It is in those spaces that I get opportunities to be the church. And so I ask you to reflect on, repent of, and talk to God if there are spaces in our lives where we are not being the church. Maybe it's tearing each other down, maybe it's the disrespectful way we talk to the people closest around us that doesn't reflect Christ and looks like what it looks like to be the church. Maybe it's the way we are judgmental of the people in our communities. Maybe it's for all the times we have missed the prompting of the Holy Spirit to go and match our word with our action. Whatever it is, I ask, what does it look like to be the church? Because the world is waiting for these people, us, to say that we are Christians, to match our words with our actions. Let me pray. Jesus, you are so good and you are so holy and you are so righteous. God, I pray that you would convict us and challenge us in the parts of our heart that does not bring glory to you. Let us love each other well and let that be a testimony of who you are amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen.